spiritual growth because sometimes there's things we don't even know what it is that's blocking us from being the kind of people we want to be. So this is a six-week thing. If you want to find out more, you can talk to me. But it's uh, kind of what I'll just call an interactive, participatory classroom environment where we're hopefully and reflective, hopefully learning and reflecting and learning some things about yourself and God and what's how to become whole in the way that God designed you. Second thing is, and this was brought to my attention uh, just last week by uh, one of our leaders here at the church. There's things happen in the world that have no direct feeling effect on us because we're not there. Um, but these two pictures, of, the two pictures of two pastors actually who are in prison in Iran uh, because of the Christians. Uh, one of the pastors, the pastor on the right, Pastor Benham, is in his re most recent charges, he's bringing corruption to the earth. And it's a death sentence charge. Um, Pastor Saeed is an American citizen, but he's been in Iran. He went back there to start an orphanage, and he was arrested because of his Christian activities against the state. This is not a political statement I'm making, but, but we can pray for these people. Scripture, and I mean, one other thing, the little red symbol there is the Arabic symbol for the letter N. And in Iraq, uh, what's happening is on the houses of those people who are Christians, the letter N being Nazarene, because Jesus was a Nazarene, so they're saying these people are Nazarenes. It's being painted on their houses by uh, extremists who are trying to identify the Christians. And so it's, it's a whole other side of the world. And, uh, but there's a passage in Hebrews, and this is not part of the sermon. This is just I want you to, we're going to take a second and pray here. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Because scripture says if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And when I was reading this passage and kind of contemplating this this, this this week, would you be willing, or would I even be willing, to pray, God, if the pain of theirs needs to be handed off to me so I can bear some of that would you welcome that? I mean, that's, a, that's kind of the sense of the passage here. It's not just, oh, we feel bad for them, but it's really it's saying that affects the whole body, and would you even bear that burden if God said it's going to be go from them to you? And how do we pray for people? These guys are they're, they're guys who have wives and families, and there's Christians in Iraq right now that are basically being killed or kicked out of their houses simply because they follow Jesus. And sometimes it seems like another world away to us, and we kind of get wrapped in the political issues involved. But actually, one of the leaders here that Bud's mentioned, kind of the question that kind of revolves in our mind is, what, what can we do? And I thought, well, what the church can do is pray. Yeah, there's political involvement, and talk to your congressman, but ultimately, we can pray. Right? So... Uh, I'm going to actually ask Brian Arnold, he's the one that brought to my attention, I'm going to ask Brian to pray, and just pray uh, for those in Iran, Iraq, and other parts of the world that are um, suffering. You know, I, let's just do this, let's stand, just out of respect for those who are suffering. And Brian, why don't you pray. Lord, I, uh, I'm at a loss for words. I, I just can't imagine what it's like for these pastors and their families. I can't understand what they're experiencing. But we share Christ, and your word here clearly says that we need to be praying for them.
So now we stop and, and we lift them up. And I'm sure that there, there are many others whose names we don't know, um, but you do. You know exactly what they're going through. You know their reliance on you. And we just pray that uh, you would speak to them, to their hearts. You would encourage them. You would strengthen them. You would help them to shine for you. I think of Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I just pray also that you would give them the heart of Christ so that as they look at their persecutors, they can, they can see what Jesus sees. Remind them of your love for them. Remind them that uh, they're not alone. And we just pray that you call your church together to organize your church to pray for them in these difficult circumstances. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brian. Go ahead and have a seat. You know, like I said, I was, just this last week, I heard somebody talk about a problem, somebody, a, 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 a kind of suffering someone in their life was suffering, and their prayer was, God, put their suffering on me, take it away from them. And I thought about this situation and I thought, would, would I, would any of us have the courage to pray that way about those part of our family, the family of followers of Jesus around the world, um, to say, God, put their suffering on my shoulders if it would relieve their suffering. That's kind of the sense of the passage there. So just encourage you to, you know, if you see those kind of things on the internet or on news things, don't just blow it off and don't necessarily kind of get politically angry, even take a minute to pray while you're on CNN or Fox News side or whatever you're watching and you see that, just take a minute to pray for them, kind of in the same spirit that Bryant just prayed. Uh, let's uh, pray before we look into God's Word this morning. God, we, we believe in the invisible world and we believe that even this very moment we exist in a physical reality with air and oxygen and um, wood beneath our feet and plastic chairs we sit on, but we also believe in the invisible reality of this very time and place where your Holy Spirit lives and speaks and acts and that we have souls, the deepest part of our being are souls in which we have the capacity to hear and respond to you or hear and ignore you. So we pray you'd give us the grace and the courage to hear you and to respond to you because we want it to be the kind of people you've designed us to be, and that is full of the life, goodness, and love that come from you alone. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, category for today is confusing road signs. All right, first one. Keep right. All right, next one. Left lane ends. This is not confusing. But go ahead and pull your huge SUV in at the last minute. Everyone is okay with that. Now, if you're one of those people that does that, you have an issue with my wife because it drives her crazy when people do that. Me too. Anyway, next one. Please slow driveway. Somebody messed that sign up. Kind of confusing. Next one. That just speaks for itself. I have no idea what to do there. Next one. Unnecessary repetitive driving prohibited. If you're taking time to reading that, you're probably one of those people that's unnecessarily driving prohibited or whatever. Next one. Pedestrian 
causality reduction signal timings experiment. That must be in Great Britain. I don't know where else it would be. All right. Next confusing road sign. Not a through street, but yet it's an evacuation route. All right. Next one. Make the last. Oh, next one. Yeah, this one speaks for itself too. Good luck. Figure it out. All right. Next one. Caution. No warning signs. All right. One of the things leading to sign up are no warning signs. They're not going to tell us anything. But one of the things, now I go to the next one. One of the, what we've been doing the last few weeks, and today's the last week of this next week, incidentally, I'm going to start, we're going to start teaching the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Philippi. But we've been doing for the last four or five weeks, uh, Exodus Church, where are we going? And whenever you just try to figure out where you're going, you, to some degree, you need a road, you need to road, you need to obey road signs, you need to know the rules of the road, how do you go, where you get in there. And the where are you going question often, you know, people, often with the church, you tend to answer that with, you know, what's our next building project, or what's this, or what's this. The way we're going is defined primarily by what kind of people we want you and me to become. Because the way we're going is about you and your soul, and us as a congregation becoming the kind of people. And here's how we phrase it lately. You'll be seeing a lot of this uh, in the near future. Our vision is to be a catalyst for turning ordinary people into abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous followers of Jesus. Catalyst is a person or a thing that causes change. We want to be those kind of people. But we also want to be abnormally, not normal or typical, extremely large. We want to be abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous people who follow Jesus. In a sense, that's the way we want to go for your life and for our life together. How do you become abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous? And what are the obstacles to that happening? And what would it look like if you were that kind of person? I mean, just think of that for a second. What would that look like if you were abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous? How would your life be different now? What would it look like if we were all abnormally loving, joyful and courageous, and we were willing to be in the hands of God a catalyst for other people becoming those kind of people as well. People you know that you think are far from God, people you know that have ditched God, people you know that just kind of nominally follow God. What would it be like if we all were the kind of people who said, God, here am I, send me, I'll be a catalyst in that person's life so they can be the kind of person you designed us to be? That's, that's the vision. That's where we want to be. That's where we're going. And it's not a place. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind of reality that we believe is true and God's desire for each one of us to be those kind of people. So part of the flip side of that, here's the question I'll ask. I've asked this once in the past. Let's just kind of get to it from the back side. What would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with blank? Might be a person. Might be an issue might be things like anxiety, fear, could be, like I said, a person, it could be financial stress. Whatever you put in that blank is one of those very things that is an obstacle for you to becoming abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous, right? Because that, the nature of struggling with something in that sign of sense, with anxiety, or with a certain person, or with forgiveness, or with your anger, or with Whatever issue you would put in that, that you just wish it was behind you, the nature of those issues is struggle. 
And in this sense, I mean struggle not in the, not in the good way, because there's times we struggle with being the kind of people God wants to be, but I mean struggling with an issue we just can't seem to shake. And how do we, how do we do that? How do we, how do we, how does God get us to the point where we don't struggle anymore with those things? And you might say, well, that doesn't happen this side of heaven. Completely no. But I think God's desire for this life, he came to give us an eternal kind of now life, not just an eternal kind of then life, but a now life where those kind of issues we can identify and give, put in front of Jesus for him to redeem and give us freedom. And give us the kind of abnormal joy, love, and courage that every single one of us knows we wish we had. But if we're honest, when it comes to love, we know we don't love people well, even our spouses, parents, or children. If we're honest, our joy is fleeting at best. And sometimes it's wrapped up just in a really good ice cream cone, which is not bad, but it's not, it, the joy of Jesus came is way bigger than that. Or the courage that we long to have just seems so impeded by the fear of our own lives of if I do that, what might happen? So again, what do you put in that blank? What, what goes in there? So what I want to talk about today, and some of these, some of these are things you've seen before, but I'm going to talk about what I would consider this, uh, well, let's go to the first pa next passage first, because here's the passage we're going to just kind of build off of. And I want you to think again about the journey, about where are we going, about road signs, and how do you get there. The book of Hebrews is a, is a letter written to Hebrew Christians. Hebrew is another word for Jewish. It was the Jewish Christians, you know, a number of years after Jesus' death and resurrection, who were struggling with some of the very things you and I might struggle with that tends to get us to the point where we think we may just ditch the faith. And the writer was encouraging them. No? He was concerned them, encouraging them about Jesus. He was encouraging them about a variety of things. But he was basically encouraging them to keep going and don't quit. But one of the things he says, one of his pieces of advice to them and to us, because we believe the Bible is written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to them and to us, he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. And the word encourage there is kind of a word we don't use anymore. It can also mean exhort. But it's kind of like I'm going to encourage you, but in a, in a way that I'm with you and I'm going to tell you something maybe kind of strong, but I want you to see what God can do in your life. And I want you to see the dangers of the direction you're going if you don't deal with X, Y, or Z. Some, some versions translate it, warn each other daily, but warning has kind of a negative connotation, but it's encourage, challenge, comfort, love someone well, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We, there's a group of people that pray before the service on Sunday mornings, and one of the prayers I prayed was, there are people here this morning, I'm sure there are, who are on the verge of stepping into the deception of sin. Or maybe you've already kind of hardened your heart and you're kind of frustrated with God, you're angry at God, whatever, God's not pulling through, whatever it is. But we're all a variety of places on that spectrum. And what the writer of this letter is saying, you've got to keep encouraging each other because this is a difficult journey it's a challenging journey to be the kind of people God wants us to be, and you do need each other to be that. 
And so you have to be together and encouraging each other. So what I want to do is this. There's three primary street signs that I'm going to encourage you with today. That if you learn to obey these three signs, or if you deal with these three issues on an ongoing way, I'm going to say I think you're going to be in a good place. And some of these, a couple of these things you've seen before, and I've repeated them a lot, because I think it's a real significant part of our spiritual life. All right, first one is this. Or the next sign. Have you got have a street sign made? This was made a while ago. It's kind of beat up. And I'm not really that strong. This is a plastic pipe I painted like silver, so don't think that I'm like, yeah, here we go, yeah, okay. All right. Contempt. Contempt. The essence of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught and the essence of the teaching of Jesus, the essence of the teaching of the Bible, in one sense, is you can live a life free of contempt. Contempt is the feeling you have, and you might think, well, contempt is like rage, right? No, contempt is the feeling you have just when you're kind of ticked off at somebody. You may not even say it. You may just raise your eyebrows, or the heart, eyebrows of your heart get raised. <laughs> Come on. And if you're married, you know what I mean. If you have brothers and sisters, you know what I mean. If you have parents, you know what I mean. If you have roommates, you know what I mean. If you're a human being, you know what I mean. The person that cuts you off in traffic, like, oh, come on. I mean, there's extreme versions and expressions of contempt, like the middle digit of your hand. But there's also those subtle ones that we don't always want to admit Then when you walk by a homeless person and your thought is, they get what's due to them. They're, they must not be working. They must not be working hard enough. Or the feeling you have when someone you love just does something that irritates you. And you let the irritation kind of get the best of you. And judgment in your spirit goes out toward them, but you're smiling the whole time. And Jesus talks about the challenge of not saying the Sermon on the Mount. Of even if you say to your brother, you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. None of us, I don't think, maybe lately, maybe some of you have said to somebody, you're a fool. But that's the essence of the, the spirit of contempt. Kind of this, what did they do again? Stupid idiot. Effing idiot. Some of you have said that in your car probably even this morning to someone who cut you off. Now, so what do you do? It's there. It's part of the human condition. But the challenge of this road sign is not simply to live this way, but to be open to allow God to identify where that shows up in your heart and to be open to allow the Spirit of Jesus to do some surgery to get rid of that in you. I mean, there was a situation this week, I think it was with somebody I didn't even know that well, and I remember having kind of this, <laughs> there they go again, that really frustrates me. And I, was, and I felt contempt in them. I felt like I wanted to demean them with my emotions. I didn't say anything. And I remember I stopped and I said, God, why do I do that to people? Will you take that from me? So maybe the challenge, or not maybe, the challenge is, are you willing to let the Holy Spirit show you those times when you have those contempt kind of internal or external expressions? And are you willing to give the Holy Spirit the freedom to do surgery? Because I guarantee you, this is a huge obstacle to being abnormally loving and joyful and courageous. It's huge. You're not, you can't love others as Christ said when Jesus said, I want you to love others if I've loved you. You can't do that if you let any of this survive in your heart. Even when you see small pieces, you've got to deal with it. So when Jesus talked about the Sermon on the Mount, it was not simply saying, don't do this. 
What he was saying was, you can live a life without contempt if you follow me and listen to what I say and let, let what I say to you be heard by you and let me do what I want to do in your life. If the whole congregation here would allow God to remove contempt from our life, it'd be amazing the love that could flow in and from and through this congregation. All right? So that's street sign number one that I want you to obey. It's not a confusing sign. All right? Street sign number two, which is one of my favorite ones. This one's not so beat up. I got it made not so long ago. Hurry. When you're in a hurry, do you, do you love people better? When you're in a hurry, are you more patient with people? One of my spiritual mentors is a, is a man named Dallas Willard. I mean, I don't know him well. I've met him a few times, but mentor in terms of what he's written and how he's, what he's talk, talked about. He died about a year and a half ago. But another pastor that I, I don't know, but I've read, another pastor once was close to Dallas Willard, and he called, he called uh, Dallas Willard. Was Dallas Willard was a philosopher professor at USC, but he was also a very godly man. And he called, this, he called Dallas one time and said, Dallas, I'm kind of out of sorts in my life spiritually. Can you give me some pointers to get back on track? And he was expecting things like read your Bible more, pray more, give more, go to church more, help the poor more, that kind of stuff. And he said what Dallas Fullard said to him on the phone was, be ruthless about the elimination of hurry from your life. So this other pastor wrote, now be ruthless about the elimination of hurry from your life. Okay, number two. Okay, what's next, Dallas? And Dallas said, there is nothing else. When you're in a hurry, do you think you hear God better or worse? When you're in a hurry, does the prompting of the Holy Spirit have more reception or less? Hurry is, is a state of the soul. It's not, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about be lazy. I'm not talking about don't even be busy, although sometimes busyness is kind of our way of saying we're, we're living our lives in a hurry. But can you be ruthless about eliminating hurry from your life? There's times when my wife and I will talk about our schedule or even what's coming up or even a vacation. And sometimes she'll say or I say, I don't know, I'm just feeling hurried just thinking about that. So we often try to say no to things that we know will lead us to hurry. Because hurry will never lead us to be abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous. Never. Think, think of this for a second. Close your eyes for a second, and I want you to think about Jesus in a hurry. You can't think of Jesus in a hurry. Can you open your eyes? You can't think of that. You can't, you can't, Jesus, and he said he had a lot to do. Who had more to do than Jesus? But you can't think of Jesus kind of in a hurry, and like, well, we've got to go here, we've got to do this, we've got to, Peter, be quiet, we've got to take off. You, you just can't, you can't imagine Jesus in a hurry. If anything, he'd be walking down the road and the blind person would yell out to him or somebody was lame. And if he was in a hurry, he'd be like, can somebody deal with that person? I've got to go somewhere. But he was not in a hurry. He allowed those kind of cries from people to be used by his, own, by his Father in heaven. He knew those were the needs he came to meet. If Jesus would have lived life in a hurry, it would have been like the guy in the story of the Good Samaritan who just had some place to go so he passed by the guy on the road. I'm guessing for those of you who are married how much of your tension in your marriage may be related to the hurried pace of your life. 
how much of your frustration with your kids comes because you're so much in a hurry that they're not responding in the exact same second by second intervals that you have for them because you only have 24 hours in a day and you're going to use every single minute of that wisely. So would you be willing to li live life with no hurry? Now again, back to the passage I was talking about from Hebrews. It says, encourage one another so you don't fall into sin's deceitfulness. So think about contempt and hurry. If those go unchecked in your life, I guarantee you, you start gravitating toward temptations that seem more desirable and things and activities because you're no longer checking the contempt in your heart and you're so much in a hurry, even the Holy Spirit hit you with a two-by-four to try to get you to stop gravitating one direction, it wouldn't work because you're too much in a hurry. Now, of course, it's important to read your Bible and pray and go to church and those kind of things. But these are, I would just say, navigational road signs that if you disregard these signs, I don't care how much you read your Bible, my guess is you will not grow to the kind of abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous person that you want to be. The last sign, this is a new sign, at least a new sign for us, no isolation. One of the things that Pastor Dan had on the yellow sheet today, formerly the purple sheet, but today it's the yellow sheet had different small group opportunities. Now, a small group doesn't heal all your problems. Relationships have a significant part in you becoming the kind of person God wants you to be. And groups, whether it's a small group, whether it's a group of your student, whether it's a group with Young Life or Campus Crusade or Navigators or whatever, relational realities with people are a significant, if not necessary, part of following Jesus. I mean, in the passage of Hebrews, the author says, encourage one another. If you're not in a relationship, there's no one another to encourage or to encourage you. If you're living your life, you might say, well, I have friends. No, I'm talking about kind of the spiritual isolation that some of us live in. Where nobody really knows this, what you're struggling with. Nobody knows the temptation that seemed to be knocking at your door. Nobody knows the discouragement you're experiencing right now. So there's nobody can experience you because you're living in isolation. Scripture is full, 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 not only in this passage in Hebrews where it says encourage one another. It's full of one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. Forgive one another. And if you're living an isolated spiritual life, I don't mean... I, most of the people would probably say, well, I have friends. I have my own social circles. I know people here at the church. I'm not talking about that. That's good. But what we want for all of you and what I want for myself and what I believe God wants for all of us, he wants you to have a network of spiritual friends and mentors. So you will not live in spiritual isolation. Because there's things that are stirring in your heart right now that you really would be better off and healed in a spiritual sense if you could talk to somebody about it. But for a variety of reasons, often we choose not to. Because we don't, know who's, we don't know who would listen to us. We don't know who to talk to. We don't know who's going to... We're afraid people are going to judge us if we tell them that we're really having this thought about something that's, that just seems kind of dirty or awful. And we don't want to be that way. We don't, we don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be lustful. We don't want to be angry. We don't want to be unforgiving. So we don't tell people that we are because we're not sure they're going to respond. So then we live in spiritual isolation.
and the author of the book of Hebrews simply says you can't live life in isolation. There's a one anotherness of the body of Christ. And yes, there are groups, maybe this is what you need to be doing, or need to find some relationships with people in the church or other Christians who you trust, other godly men or women or friends of yours, that maybe you need to start talking about those things that you know you need to talk about that will lead to your healing. Not simply to get it off your chest, but you know that you need relationships. We are made for relationships spiritually. In the book of Genesis, when God says to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone, he was, God was not just talking in that passage about marriage. He was talking about the dangers of aloneness living. And a lot, of, a lot of times in your life or in my life, we've been around people but have lived incredibly spiritually alone. And then those thoughts in our hearts, those temptations in our hearts, those frustrations with God or others in our hearts, stay there and they grow because they're never brought out into the light. They're never brought into light where light can heal. So no contempt, no hurry, no isolation. You obey those three or pay attention, give heed to those three road signs. I guarantee you, you'll, you'll start to see and hear things from God and healing in your life can happen. The change you've always wanted can happen and you'll be on your way not just to becoming, our goal is not to become good Christians in, in the sense that we often define that. Our goal is not to become good churchgoers. Our goal is to become abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous people who follow Jesus. That's our goal. That's who we want to be. And you can't do that by ignoring these three signs, as well as others, but these three primarily. If you ignore those signs and live your life without these encouragements, then I guarantee you will not have the life that you believe God told you you could have. Now, all that said, it is, and I'll close with this, because I want you to remind you something of what Jesus said. He said the life of following him is not a burdensome life. It's not heavy. It's not full of legalistic demands. It's not like, oh, I did, no, I didn't, no, I did. Yes, there's obeying and following Jesus, but here's what he says to the people then and to us now. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens. For those of you who are not and have never been weary or carried heavy burdens, you can leave now because you don't need this. Right? Because there are some of us, even now, in this very room, I know some of the stories here, there is great weariness and heavy burdens. And sometimes the great weariness and heavy burdens is the religious ex expectation we put ourselves from the false versions of Christianity that says, do this, do that, do this, do that, you know, legalism. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm not, I'm not putting on you this list of rules to keep Yes, we're to obey, but they're not rules to keep about our behavior. Jesus is after our hearts. He's after your heart. That's what he wants. He says, those, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Rest, in the biblical sense, is the absence of struggle. In the Old Testament, when it said the land was, giving, was given rest from war, the absence of adversaries. 
the absence of those things that cause you disruption and disrupt your peace. Anxiety, fear, lack of forgiveness. Jesus says, no, I, I, I can give you rest from those. Because it's when your soul is at rest is when abnormal joy, abnormal, abnormal love, and abnormal courage can flourish. When your soul is not at that kind of rest, and again, I don't mean laziness, it's not like sit down and rest and take a nap. It's not that. The rest is the rest of your soul. From those things that cause you all kinds of disturbing kind of emotions where your heart becomes to give in, give in to the deceitfulness of sin and temptation. He says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Everybody right now, just take a deep breath and exhale. It's that feeling from your soul that you are designed to live in. The Yes, still living life. Yes, still taking care of responsibilities. Yes, still paying your bills. Yes, still changing the diapers of your baby. Yes, still dealing with stressful things at work. But you can do it with a restful soul. That's the promise of Jesus. You live life without contempt because he can remove that from you. You live life without hurry because then he can speak to you. And you live life not in isolation, but in life-giving connection with other people because then God will use them to speak to you to bring healing and wholeness to your life, which is not every single one of us wants. So as you think about your own spiritual life and as I think about us as a group of people or the Christians in Bloomington as a whole, know that the heart of Jesus for you is he wants you to have this kind of life. He's not angry at you. He's not going to slap you around because you're misbehaving. Yes, God has, he will challenge you, he will exhort you, and God may even warn you if he knows you're walking toward the edge of the Grand Canyon and you're going to fall off soon. Somebody that wouldn't warn you about that would be an unloving person. So of course God speaks in strong language at times in the Bible, and the Holy Spirit will speak in strong language to you because he knows going over that edge will kill your soul. So my prayer for all of us is that we, even this week, that the Holy Spirit would begin to take steps for you and me to be abnormally joyful, loving, and courageous people. I'm going to end with, and I hope they don't mind this. I don't think they will. But I'll just simply say this. If you don't know Tim and Sandra Seidel, they're right over here. They've had a traumatic summer. I'll just leave it at that. They've had things happen in their lives that if it happened to you and me, getting drunk or taking medicine would be what we'd want to do, right? They've had traumatic things happen this summer with family issues, death in the family, all kinds of job-related, all kinds of painful things. And I was talking to Tim this week because it all kind of came to a head this week. And, and I'm still amazed at Tim's response at one point because, I mean, he's not a perfect guy. He's a good guy. He's got a really good heart. And I said, Tim, he's telling me all this stuff and all this. And I said, Tim, how can I pray for you? Well, most of us in those situations would say, well, pray that I could 
take care of this situation, deal with that, figure out what's next with that, and deal with this person and that and this and this. You know, I just need wisdom to do all that. Because we just want to fix our problems. I, can, I, I will never forget what Tim said to me at that moment. And it kind of caught me off guard, but I wish it wouldn't have caught me off guard. He said, just pray that I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, no matter what I have to deal with, I'll know how to deal with it. And I'll deal with it out of that kind of heart. And I didn't fall off over backwards off my chair, but inside I did. And I told him later, I want to be like you when I grow up. Because how many of us, when we handle, when we hit those obstacles that were not things we brought on ourselves, they're just the potholes of life, we hit those things and we do give in to the deception of sin and temptation. We, we conclude, well, God's not for us because God didn't do this. And we tend to get mad at the goodness of God or we get mad at ourselves instead of simply stepping back and saying, I, I know in this situation what I need most of all. We just sang the song, I need you, oh, I need you. What I need most of all is I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit in me. Because if I have that, nothing will stop me from being the kind of person I know I want to be. So I'm saying that simply to honor Tim and Sandra in the midst of what they're going through. For him to say that, I thought, he's my hero. And I don't mean that in a joking way. I really w drove away from that. And I, and I told Tim later that was the most encouraging time of my week. Not encouraged by the trauma and the difficulties and the potholes they've endured this week, but encouraged by, and I'm sure there'll be difficulties and challenges and their spirits will drop, and, but that's, that's what we want. We want to be those kind of people and continue to even grow. My hope is that Tim and Sandra and any of us going through those kind of potholes will continue to grow and be open to what God wants to do because he will bring abnormal love and joy and courage in your life. So, um, Tim, thanks for that. Appreciate that. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we want to be the kind of people who have souls that are, what we've said before, that are alive, awake, and free. We want souls that in spite of what comes our way, because God, you never promised, you never promised to keep people out of prison in Iraq or Iran. You never promised that. Remember, Jesus said, that's going to happen. You never promised us that hard things and trauma wouldn't happen to us. You never promised that if we follow you, we'll have a scot-free life. But what you promised was, Jesus, that you would never leave us. And you promised us abnormal joy. You promised us a love that exceeds human expectations. And you promised us the courage that defies logic. You promised us that, Jesus. That's the kind of people we want to be. And we want to be the kind of people who encourage one another, challenge one another, comfort one another, so we can not just get there ourselves, we want to get there as a congregation. We want to get there as a family. We want to get there as a group of people who believe that you have designed for us a kind of life-giving goodness that flows through us and from us toward others. That's the kind of people we want to be, and that's the kind that we believe you made us to be. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We finish uh, every Sunday with communion.